Hello, I am Bob Mooney. I am a Bible teacher in the local body of Christ, and I have been an interim pastor of a home church for a number of years. I hope you find these Bible lessons a blessing and of practical value. Well, this is our second lesson in studying the book of Habakkuk, and this talks about his second complaint. And today we will re review our first lesson, and then we'll look at chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, and then we'll move on to chapter 2, the first three verses. But first, let's take a review of the first lesson. And we looked at Habakkuk as he spent the first part of his book describing the, the ruthless Babylonians. Today, many would see this as God's harsh judgment on his chosen people. And to some extent, it does seem that way. But we cannot forget, especially in our dispensation of the new covenant, that above all, God loves his people and he only wants what's best for them. Imagine God's heart as he has to see his people fall away from him as they would rather follow the injustice and corruption of their culture rather than the care and concern of God. And even more so today, after he sent his only son to bear our, all our iniquities and all our sorrows and to deliver us from sin so that we may have a relationship with him. Imagine God's pain as today the church all too often mixes the worldly culture with Christianity and a world that uses our culture as the standard instead of his word. It is not God's judgment that is coming upon us, but the result of removing his standard, his word, from our lives. Well, let's move on and look at verses 12 through 17 in chapter 1. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? The preacher's commentary puts it this way. How can God appear to stand by in silence as the wicked swallow up the righteous? It seems as if God is tolerating all that he opposes. Habakkuk stops short of making any accusations toward God. But nonetheless, it appears this way, and appears this way today as, we, as well. How can God allow the Babylonians to swallow up Judah like fish in the sea and give credit to their gods and not the one true God? So here Habakkuk is content to wait for the revelation from God. God used the Babylonians to punish, not demolish Judah, and would not let the Babylonians destroy God's covenant people. Because number one, 
the unchanging and everlasting God, will not break his covenant with his people. And the holy and righteous God will not allow sin to go unpunished in either Judah or her enemies. God was their rock, so why would he allow such an unrighteous and evil people to bring punishment on a less evil nation of Judah? This was difficult or impossible to understand without God's divine revelation. Habakkuk was content to wait for that revelation. Well, let's move on to the second chapter, the first three verses. And at first I will read these verses in the NIV, and then I will move on and read them in the New King James Version. Verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Again, in the New King James Version. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but in the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Well, let's break this down just a little bit. The word watch in verse 1, when he writes, I will stand at my watch. That literally means duty, responsibility. And later in verse 1, the word see, as if I will look to see what he will say to me. I will look to see, means to understand intellectually and to perceive. So what Habakkuk is doing here is he is standing at his watch. He is taking his responsibility and his duty very seriously. And he will wait and wants to understand and to perceive what God will say to him. Habakkuk here deliberately puts himself in a position to hear from the Lord. He will stand his watch. Historically, the Israelites literally placed watchmen on the wall, the walls that surrounded the city. There were others placed throughout the high country and the surrounding countryside whose job it was to also watch. They watched for enemies. They watched for coming heralds, bringing messages. They watched and looked for travelers and so on. When trouble was spotted, they would blow the ram's horn, the shofar, in warning. The watchmen on the walls would then warn the city. We have to remember these were the days before electronics and radar and modern technology. This was a security system. The city's survival depended on their diligence. Habakkuk probably didn't literally stand on the ramparts, a Hebrew idiom that meant a watchman, a prophet, a seer. Today we have the responsibility to watch, to protect ourselves, our families, in our communities, in our nation. We have to be constantly on the lookout for the tricks and traps of the enemy of our souls, the devil. We are not to live in fear, 
but in vigilance. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So Habakkuk here is placing himself where God can speak to him. He wants to know what God's heart is. He wants to see it. He wants to perceive it. He wants to understand it. And he wants to and needs to warn the people. He placed himself in a position where he could wait and sit to hear from God. He made himself available to hear from the Lord to bring correction into his life and to the lives of his people. He waited until he had what I've referred to before as the Yah view, to be able to see things from God's perspective. But he had to place himself where God called him to be. He was not out in the fields, so to speak. He wasn't in the city. He was where he was stationed to be. He was put. He was, he was placed by God, and he knew where his calling was, and he remained there patiently. The lesson for us in this verse is that we need to find out what it is we're called to do. Where does God want us to serve? We all can't be watchmen, so to speak, not in the universal church aspect. We all can't be prophets to the nations, but we can be priest and prophet to our families. We need to set ourselves where God would have us be, and there is where he'll speak to us. Habakkuk was truly expecting to hear from God. How about us? Do we place ourselves where he will speak to us? Are we truly waiting and expecting him to speak? Or are we going through life, hoping he will speak to us on the run, speaking to us at our convenience and not his? Or are we expecting him to speak to us at all? I challenge us all, myself included, to take time to prayerfully study his word, to give him a chance to make corrections in our lives. We need to learn to find that quiet place where we can hear from him, not just in times of crisis, but also and especially in times of prosperity. We need to take the time to seek him just because we want a relationship with him and not for what we want him to do for us will be a life-changing experience. In verse 2, we hear the Lord's response. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. There is no given timetable when the Lord answered Habakkuk. We can assume, though, that he was steadfast in waiting and he, he was rewarded. The Lord first tells him to record the revelation so that a herald may run with it. God wanted Habakkuk to be sure, number one, to get the revelation accurate, and two, to share it with the people of Judah. As God's prophet, Habakkuk was called to hear God or to see him, as the common expression of his day was, and then to relay God's word to the people, and Habakkuk was faithful in his calling. What about us today? I have heard church leaders rightly use this verse to encourage folks to record any personal or ministry direction they receive from the Lord. Often God, especially through his word, brings personal correction, adjustment, and direction. It is a good practice to record these things to help remind us and keep us focused on what God personally requires from us. 
verse 3, the first part of it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. This verse speaks not only of the end of the Babylonian rule, giving the people of Judah hope, but also it speaks to the end of the age. Eschatology, the message of the end times. The last half of verse 3, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Well, how do we explain, though it linger, wait for it, and then it goes on to say it will certainly come and will not delay. Most often God's revelations require patient endurance for its fulfillment, but it will always, always come at the appropriate time. When God moves, he moves quickly. Sometimes we have to wait for him to move, but when he does, it's always on time. The Jews needed not only the warning of the coming Babylonians, they needed the encouragement that the Babylonian rule of terror would have an end. They needed to know God was still sovereign, that he still cared and loved his people, and that he still ruled the universe. Today, God is still on his throne, and he will will remain there for eternity. He still loves and cares for his people. He still loves his kids. He is now and forever a good, good father. While we see our world seemingly coming apart, we need only to take our focus off ourselves and our world's circumstances and place our hope, our trust, and our faith in God alone. It is simple, but not always easy. I hope you have been blessed by this message. I would love to hear from you. You can email me at rmooney at carolina.rr.com. And thank you for listening.